Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to Mama Mystery. I am your host, Kelly. And I am your co-host, Austin. Today, we are going to be talking about the Casey Anthony documentary. Once and, and for all. This is going to be probably my final episode on the Casey Anthony series, unless something crazy comes up, which I doubt it will. But uh, today, we are going to be talking about this documentary, or mockumentary, I should call it, uh, that came out on Peacock. So... Um, this week I started making videos on TikTok because so many people on there were talking about the story and a lot of people were arguing, including Rosie O'Donnell, that they believe Casey Anthony now, that this documentary was successful in changing their minds, which is really disappointing. And I'm going to talk about why I feel that way, but here's the thing. If you're listening to this and you either haven't watched the documentary or you're thinking about doing it. All I'm going to say is that this is a one, one-sided, one very biased documentary, and it's all like this fluff piece to make Casey Anthony look like she's a good person, like she's a victim in all of this. And so I just implore you that if you do watch the documentary, you listen to my last three episodes explaining the entire case, and I talk about evidence and facts, things that are based on cell phone records and affidavits and testimony from witnesses, it's not just hearsay from Casey. If you know anything about anything, you listen to it and you're like, this is a crock of shit. Yeah, because there's really no evidence in the documentary other than just her talking. But but the thing that's crazy is, and I didn't, just admittedly everybody, I didn't watch the whole documentary because I thought it was just BS and it was dragging on. Mm-hmm. But We watched the first episode together. I watched all three and then we watched the first episode together. I watched the part of the one. second. But it's just, here's the deal. She admits that she was a compulsive liar mm-hmm. and that that's, so she's a convicted liar. That's what she says. But she lies nonstop and she talks about all her lies nonstop. It still doesn't even mention all the ones Kelly does in the episodes, mm-hmm. the mama mystery, but it's just, and then like, there's no validity to anything. So whenever something does come up, it's like, yeah, I lied and I wish I could take that back. And then it's like this dramatic panning camera of her crying. And it's like, this is so stupid. How does anybody go for this? Yeah. Yeah, it's really frustrating because like you admit to lying, so why should we believe you now? Literally everything you've ever said before was a lie. And you admit that there were little kernels of truth within the lie. How are we supposed to believe that that, that, that has suddenly changed? Because mm-hmm. there's so many things that don't make sense, and I'm going to talk about them. Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> I do feel strongly that this documentary was very one-sided. The vast majority of the commentary came from Casey, obviously, and then the group of group of people who were tasked to defend her during the trial. So Pat McKenna, Cheney Mason, Dorothy Clay Sims, Anne Fennell, and Elizabeth Fryer. Those are the people that were literally on her defense team. And they are the ones that sat down with Peacock to discuss how amazing they think Casey is. And I'd also like to add, cause I don't think I, I don't think I wrote it in here. So I don't know if it's going to come up or not, but at one point they also interview the person that spent time in jail with Casey. And so when she was in jail before Kaylee was found, there was another lady in there. I think her name was Robin Adams. Um, They wrote letters back and forth. And so in this documentary, Robin's talking about how these letters divulge, like all the things she went through, like abuse and this and that. Okay, 
they don't address a past interview that Robin did for another channel, another documentary, where she literally told, Casey told this girl in jail that they were looking in the wrong place for Kaylee. And then when it was discovered that she was found, Casey told this inmate that that Kaylee was found with a Winnie the Pooh blanket and duct tape around her head, those details hadn't been released yet. No way. So there's no way anyone could have known that unless they were involved in putting Kaylee in the woods. But they don't bring that up during the documentary. They don't bring up the fact that Robin said that in a past documentary. There's a lot of shit left out. Yes. I mean, after, after hearing your episodes that are very thorough on it, there's a lot left out. Yeah. Which is so convenient, isn't it, that you know this documentary that is basically a fluff piece for Casey Anthony leaves out a lot of things. Like she even says, I know everyone's going to ask 100 questions about why I didn't call, why I didn't make a phone call, why I didn't call 911, why didn't I do this? Yeah, we are. And guess what? They don't get answered. Other than to say it was just a re- trauma response, which I'm going to address she that. She blames the everything on trauma. Yeah, everything is her dad's fault, also her brother Lee's fault. Oh, and it's also her mom's fault. Nothing is ever, ever, ever Casey's fault. That's the re- resounding theme throughout this entire thing, her whole life, honestly. But what bothers me most about this documentary is that it's literally all based on just stories. There's no fact, no evidence, no proof necessary. Just what Casey says goes. But oddly enough, her defense team claims that they've never actually heard what really happened despite all being this family now, right? So they say that they never asked Casey and Casey never told them what happened until this docuseries. That is weird to me. Okay, and I didn't watch the whole thing, but I did see where like, a lot of times when she's like, I don't know what happened. I, don't, I have no clue. I still don't know what happened. I still don't know what happened. But then like at the same breath, she's saying like she was lifeless in my dad's arms or whatever, mm-hmm. right? And, and here's he told what me I it was going to be okay. Yeah, but I don't know what happened. I still don't know to this day. Yeah. I hope her family sues her over this whole thing. Oh, I hope so too. Because she says that her brother, she says that her dad raped her until she was like 12. Mm-hmm. And then her brother followed suit, not raping her, but everything as bad as you can imagine until she was 15. And I'm mm-hmm. like, man, one of these dudes better sue her. Yeah. It's so disappointing. Um, so the docuseries focuses on two main topics. So that is what I'm going to break down because I want to, I just want to talk about the facts. Okay. So the events of June 16th, 2008, and the relationship Casey had with her father, George. So those are the two main topics resounding through the whole docuseries. So first, we're going to talk about the events on June 16th. So on July 16th, that is when Casey files the police report. And she says in the police report, on Monday, June 9th, between 9 and 1 1 p.m., I, Casey Anthony, took my daughter, Kaylee Marie Anthony, to her nanny's apartment. Kaylee's nanny, Zenaida Fernandez-Gonzalez, has watched her for the past year and a half to two years. I left work around 5 and went back to the apartment to pick up my daughter. However, after reaching the apartment, I realized that neither Zenaida, Kaylee, or either of her two roommates were home. I have briefly met Raquel Farrell and Jennifer Rossa on various occasions. For the past four weeks since Kaylee's disappearance, I have stayed at Anthony's apartment in Sutton Place. I have spent every day since Monday, June 9th, 2008, looking for my daughter. I have lied and stolen from my friends and family to do whatever I could by any means to find my daughter. Bullshit. And she says in the episodes that she was stealing from her friends because she was following her father's patterns of behavior because he stole from people. Hold on. I'm going to address that in a second. She goes on to say, I avoided calling the police or even notifying my own family out of fear. I have been and am still afraid of what has or may happen to Kaylee. I have not had any contact with Zenaida since Thursday, June 12, 2008. I received a quick call from Zenaida. Not once have I been able to ask her for my daughter or gain any information on where I can find her. Every day I have gone to malls, parks, and any place I could remember Zenaida taking Kaylee. I have gone out and tried to find any information about Kaylee or Zenaida, whether by going to a popular bar or restaurant. I have contacted Jeff Hopkins on several occasions to see if he had heard from or seen Zenaida. He's made up, right? Yes. On July 15th, 2008, around 12 p.m., I received a phone call from my daughter, Kaylee. 
Today was the first day I have heard her voice in over four weeks. She lies about talking to her daughter. She lies about all of it. All of it is all of a it's lie. a lie. Zenaida in the in the series, she's like Zenaida was a person that I heard about that I think was a babysitter at one point, but not for me. Yeah, she admits that Zenaida was made up character basically. Was well, she admits that she was a real person and that she was a nanny and all of that was true, but she was never a nanny for Casey. Mm-hmm. Which I don't even fully believe that Zenaida was a nanny. I think she just came across this name and used it to fit her narrative, just like she did with Jeff Hopkins. Jeff Hopkins was someone she met in school and then used in her story to be the guy that introduced her to Zenaida, and it was he was one of the guys she was allegedly staying with during the 31 days because she never told her parents about Tony Lazaro, but she did tell them about Jeff Hopkins. She didn't tell them about the one guy that actually existed, but she did tell them about this made-up character. It's weird. It's so crazy. So during her trial... Casey's defense says that Kaylee likely drowned in a pool and that it was George who covered it all up. This is during the trial, okay? But Casey in the documentary said, there's no way that was possible because the ladder wasn't in the pool. She's going against what her own defense said to get her off the hook. But the reason she said this is because she really wanted to take it a step further. She wanted to dig the knife into her dad a little deeper by implying that George accidentally killed Kaylee while he was molesting her and then dunked her in the pool to make it look like she drowned. Oh, my God. Is that what she goes on to say in the documentary? Yes. So in the documentary, Casey says through this melodramatic breathing and tears that she believed she was still okay and that what she remembers from that morning is not much, but the night before was a normal night. She said she woke up the next morning, got her, got Kaylee breakfast. She wasn't feeling well, so she laid down. She put on the TV and the door was closed. Kaylee was laying in bed with Casey. Casey says that she was a light sleeper. So, okay, how did you not wake up when Kaylee left the room? She's implying that her dad must have drugged her. Oh, my God. (laughs) It's just like nothing's out of reach for her She doesn't lie anymore, though. That's what she makes sure to say in the documentary. Oh, yeah, that she has a relationship with the truth where she's too honest, that she's blunt and almost to a fault. I'm like, girl... Okay. Okay. So she said she was a light sleeper, that it's possible the door was unlocked. She was woken up by George shaking her, asking where Kaylee was. This left Casey confused because Kaylee would never even leave the room without telling her, even if it was to go to the bathroom. So the producer asks, did you look inside the pool? And she said, didn't have to. By the time I came back around from the left side of the house, she was around to the front porch and he's standing there with her, she's soaking wet. It's odd to me that she says he was on the front porch because the pool was in the backyard. And then later, like she says within that same event that he disappeared with Kaylee through the sliding screen doors, which are also on the back of the house. So there's one inconsistency. But she goes on to say, I can see him standing there with her in his arms and hand her to me and telling me that it's my fault, that I did that, that I caused that, and that she just collapsed with Kaylee in her arms. She was heavy and she was cold. And as she was sitting there with her on her lap, just hysterical, just staring at her, not knowing what to do, George took her from her and immediately softened his tone saying, it's going to be okay. She's going to be okay. That's what he said to me. And I wanted to believe him because I wanted her to be okay. And I don't know how long I sat outside. I don't know where he went. He took her from me and he walked away. I know he went back in through the screen doors and I went back into the house and I don't know where she went or what he did. This is where she also admits that she failed her child because she was trying to protect the man who hurt her and that she was brainwashed into believing George, that George was going to take care of Kaylee and just to do exactly what he said and it'll all be fine. Fine. And to be honest, the whole thing felt so scripted and rehearsed and the drama was so melodramatic. Like it just did not feel genuine to me. They had a bunch of scenes where they were looking at her and she would be crying and she would be like, it just still hurts so much. Yeah. And like, I'm not saying that it wouldn't be terrible to lose your kid, but like, I don't know. It's just, it's just kind of weird that, that you come out, 
you know, almost 15 years later or whatever, and you're looking at these photos that you take everywhere with you and you're just losing your shit. Well, and I feel like she is just saying what she thinks everyone wants to hear. Right. And that's what she did when she was in jail, too. Like, that's what she's always done is she has just said what she – like, she has just said the reality she wants to be real, that mm-hmm. she she creates. So I don't get a genuine, authentic feeling from any of this. Um when I hear Cindy's 911 call and she's practically hyperventilating because she realized Kaylee was missing, I get chills every time I hear it. I get no chills when I listen to Casey. And when I listen to three body language experts speak about this, they pointed out that when she talked about what happened to her daughter, there was anger, contempt, and disgust, which is often linked with deception. And this agitation from Casey persists throughout all three episodes. But then she goes on to accuse George of molesting Casey between the ages of 8 and 12 years old. And she feared she was doing the same thing to Kaylee, who was only 2. And the disconnect I have there, and listen, I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not here to diagnose anybody. But what I know is that it's typical of pedophiles to have a type. And they don't typically veer from that type. And so to hear that... She was only, that Casey was only molested between eight and 12 years old, but then George was going after Kaylee, who was only two. There's a disconnect there that I have a hard time believing. But either way, George denies these claims, and Casey has also accused her brother Lee of inappropriately touching her, but he, of course, denied those claims as well. But my point here is, if you were so hesitant to leave Kaylee around George, why would you trust him to take care of her for those 31 days when the last time you saw her, she was cold, wet, and lifeless? Because it's all a lie. Right, but that's that's a huge question that never gets answered. If this is really how you felt, if you felt Kaylee wasn't safe around George, why were you living there? Even if you did ask her, though, somebody asked her, it would be a trauma response. Yeah, exactly. Let's just blanket answer everything with, it was a trauma response. But uh, let me say it here, because I'm going to say it again later. But listen, trauma is very common. And a lot of people suffer from abuse and trauma. But there is a reason why. This makes no sense. You don't hear about a mom leaving her child for 31 days, not reporting her daughter missing for 31 days. There are trauma responses, but this is so far-fetched that this is not a trauma response. This is a lie. So to blanket and, and generalize this to say, oh, this is all just a trauma response, I'm sorry, no. Mm-hmm. No, it doesn't make sense. You can't just use that. You cannot just use that. And with our current culture cancel culture, everything else, mental health being top of mind. It's like, okay to say, oh, it's a trauma response. It's mental health and nobody can say anything or you'll get canceled. Right. I think that was her goal in all of this is like, well, if I can make people feel bad for me, they'll be left with no choice but to believe me. And then we can't question it or we're just, you know, insensitive assholes. Right. But I, I'm questioning it because I don't believe that it's true. And I think that it's a slippery slope when you just start believing someone just because they say it's true. How are George and Lee supposed to recover from that? They're, they're getting accused of this abhorrent behavior, but what about them? I know this probably sounds kind of heartless, but I don't like, I think the parents are idiots too. So I agree that there were a lot of mistakes made within this family. And I don't think that there's any perfect way to handle a situation like this, especially like this. But um, I'm sure there's things that they wish they would have done differently. I still, though, think that the biggest fuck up in this family was Casey. Like, No question. So, I mean, it's kind of hard because they have this daughter who just lies and that's how she lives her life is through lies. So, like, what are they expected to believe? And if their stories don't make sense, maybe it's because they were believing what Casey said or they weren't sure where the truth laid. So, I don't know. But now, continuing with June 16th, I want to now present to you the facts. We've talked about this before in the episode 31 Days. But I specifically want to point out Casey's communication with George, or the lack thereof. So according to phone records and various testimonies, these were the events of June 16th and then the days that immediately followed. And these are backed by indisputable facts, okay? Not hearsay. So on June 16th at 3.07 a.m., Casey got a a phone call from her boyfriend, Tony, and the duration of that call lasted about 15 minutes. 
at 9.27 a.m. This is within the hour that Casey has said Kaylee went missing and she was woken up by her dad. The computer forensics show that Casey was on the computer uploading pictures of the interior of Club Fusion to her computer. Then Tony calls her again at 11.47 and they talk for 19 minutes. He calls again at 1 p.m. They talk for 14 minutes. At 1.44 p.m., Casey calls Amy Hazanga and they talk for 37 minutes. So I want to pause right here because during this time span is when she's alleging Kaylee was found soaking wet, cold, lifeless by her dad, dad disappears, whatever. So what's going on with all these phone calls? What are you talking to your boyfriend about? What are you talking to Amy about? You're going out of your way to call Amy and talk for 37 minutes. You're on your computer uploading pictures of the interior of this club that you're frequenting. So tell me where it fits in Mm -hmm. that Kaylee allegedly drowns. None of this gets asked to her though, right? No, of course not. Of course not. Then at 2.52 p.m., Casey gets a phone call from Jesse Grunt. They talked for 12 minutes. And this is the phone call where Jesse says he could hear Kaylee's voice in the background. Jesse is a credible witness because he was in Kaylee's life since she was born. He would recognize her voice. And what reason would he have to lie? Also at this time, at this exact time, Searches were being made on the family computer for foolproof suffocation right before there's also a login to Casey's MySpace page. Who else would have done that but Casey? She tries to say in the documentary that the whole family had each other's passwords, so anyone could have logged on to her profile on the computer. That's bullshit because there's even video of Lee talking to her while she's in the jail, and he is asking her for her password because... He can't get in, and nobody knows the password. So she gives it to him, and it's all recorded. No way. It's all recorded in the jail. And this was long after Kaylee went missing. So by 3 p.m. that day, George is clocked in at work. And I looked up. She's, she says it just took a few minutes to get to his workplace. No, I looked it up. I looked up her address and the address of the Lexus dealership where George was working, and it took 22 minutes for him to get to work. And it was typical, and this is, this is confirmed by testimony from Cindy, that he usually left for work at 2.30 when his shift started at 3. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. So she's trying to say, oh, these searches were probably made by him, but we don't have his phone records to determine if he was actually at work that day. No, we have the time cards. It's proven mm-hmm. by the time cards. Why would Lexus dealership lie about it? Mm-hmm. So what she is suggesting, to, I guess to assume that George made those searches would mean that George had to log onto the computer, make the searches, scroll on Casey's social media, leaving him just a few minutes to get to work by three. Come on. Mm-hmm. At 3.03 p.m., Casey misses a call from her mom. Casey tries to call her boyfriend Tony again at 3.35 after that, Casey tries calling her mom four times between 4.10 and 4.14. She's calling her back to back to back. And this, to me, I feel like something happened here. I think this is maybe where something happened to Kaylee and Casey was feverishly trying to call her mom. Mm-hmm. But That makes sense. Yeah, I, but I don't know. But- because she doesn't answer. So she then calls her boyfriend, Tony, at 4.19. She tries calling Jesse again at 4.20. And then she tries calling the house phone at 6.32 p.m. But there's no answer, probably because George is still at work and maybe Cindy isn't home yet. But she calls the house phone only one more time that day at 7.06. But again, nobody answers. So we're expected to believe that this doting mother who admits to witnessing her dad take away her lifeless daughter only tries calling the house twice after she leaves because she goes to Tony's that day or like later that day, and that's when she spends the night at Tony's. And it's only hours after she's alleging this happened that she goes to Blockbuster with Tony. They're walking in Blockbuster arm in arm. She then calls Amy Hazenga a couple more times, but it doesn't appear that Amy answers. She never at any point calls George's cell phone. Man, it's so crazy that her whole story is about napping with Kaylee and everything, and then you put this to it. And it's like, this negates all of that. Yes, and this is from the phone records provided by AT&T. Yeah. This is in the discovery. This is information I found from the discovery. It's wild. It's not just like 
a, a forum I saw on Reddit. Like this is legit information. Nobody knows this case like Kelly. I would some I some, nobody should ever try to argue with you. Nobody should because you will lose. But June seventeenth, Casey calls Amy three times. Her mom one time, her boyfriend four times, and her dad zero times. So you're going to tell me that the last time you saw your daughter was when she was cold, heavy, and lifeless in your dad's arms and that he took her somewhere, but you don't know where and you don't know what happened and you don't call him? Give me a break. At no point do I feel any kind of sense of urgency from Casey trying to figure out what's going on with Kaylee. If she says the last time she saw Kaylee was with her dad, but she makes zero phone calls, I'm sorry. Absolutely not. I do not believe it and neither should you. So the next day, we know Casey was at the Anthony home between 2.30 and 4 p.m. when George was at work and the neighbor saw the car backed into the garage. So I get the sense that anytime Casey was calling the home, it was to see if anyone was there so that she could go there because she would only ever go there if she thought nobody was there. Like for that 31-day duration, that was her MO, was to call the house make sure nobody was there, and then that's when she would show up and she would back her car into the garage. So on the 18th, Casey calls the Anthony home three times. Two calls went unanswered. One call lasted three minutes. On the 19th at noon, Casey tried calling her dad, but there was no answer. She tried calling him again later that evening at 9.18, and they talked for about six minutes And then on the 20th, this is the same night Casey is photographed competing in the hot body contest at Fusion. And on this day, she receives one call from from the house phone, but it only lasts two minutes. This might be out of order of me to ask, but I got to ask. In the documentary, was she ever asked about her car smelling like a decaying body? So yes, this does come up, but it it's like skated over and they imply that George had her car at one point, but there's no, it, it, it doesn't get dug into very deeply. So it's like every other question in the show that's asked that's actually legit. It's like, uh, they just, talk about there being trash in the back of the car and that she took two of the bags out. Like there was, there was actually three bags of trash and she took two of the bags out and accidentally left one of the bags in. But everyone else has said, like, George being a retired cop and then John Allen and Eric, who was another detective on the case, they all say that this is an indistinguishable scent of death, that it comes from a human body, not just trash. And people, in the past, you've said that, like, people smelt it from multiple feet away from the vehicle. Mm -hmm. So, like, I don't know about anybody who's listening, but I don't know anybody who drives around with horrible smelling trash in the trunk of their car. for weeks to where it smells like that. Yeah, and she even addresses this to her friend Amy at one point. She has a phone call with her. I believe it was on the 25th of July, 24th or 25th, a phone call where she says she ran over a squirrel and the body of the squirrel got stuck to the frame of her car and it was smelling. And then she texts her and says, there's definitely a dead animal stuck to the um, frame of my vehicle and it stinks. So she's like setting up this story for why her car stinks mm-hmm. and she's referencing that it's a dead animal, but they don't address it. They don't dive deeper. Why did you lie about that? They don't ask mm-hmm. her that, of course. So then the documentary introduces us to Pat McKenna. Casey actually lived with Pat for a while after the trial was over, and she works for him now. So Patrick McKenna is an investigator who worked for the defense team. So since day one, he has been biased and on Team Casey. But prior to that, he was on Team OJ. That's right. He was one of the investigators on the OJ Simpson trial who was ultimately acquitted. OJ Simpson innocent? When are you going to do an episode on it? I want to hear an episode. What you couldn't see was the look I just gave Austin. Innocent. I want to hear the episode. Why won't you do a story on it? I story will. On it? I've I asked will. you to, and every time you're like, whatever, Austin. That's not, that's not what I say. You give me toot every time. I do not. Are you going to do an episode on OJ? Yes. I even write if you just, shh, and let me finish. Whatever. I will. Of. Let me finish. So he was one of the investigators on the OJ Simpson trial who, remember, OJ Simpson was acquitted doesn't equal innocent. He was acquitted. So you need to learn the difference between that those was a two joke. words. It was a joke because I'm pretty sure OJ's guilty. I mean, I don't know shit about the case. I just know that everybody says, yeah, he's guilty. But I don't know anything about it. So he was acquitted after being so charged. What? I know there's a Bronco chase. Pretty epic. 
So he was ultimately acquitted after being charged with the murders of his ex-wife, Nicole Brown Simpson, and her friend, Ron Goldman. So Pat McKenna made a name for himself when he discovered audio recordings of one of the L.A. detectives on the scene of the crime. And this detective, Mark Furman, found a bloody glove that was presumed to be worn by the killer, O.J. Simpson. And in the recordings, Detective Furman goes on this racist rant. And apparently this recording was instrumental in O.J. Simpson's subsequent acquittal of the charges. So I don't know the deep details of the case. That is for another episode someday. Sweetheart. But Pat McKenna brings up points that I haven't addressed yet in my last three episodes on Casey Anthony. So here is my take on these points. Quick question. Mm -hmm. What did OJ say happened? What did their defense say? I don't know because I don't know enough about the case. All I know is that like the glove didn't fit OJ's hand. So his lawyer was like, if the glove don't fit, you must acquit. And oh, that was I've like, heard that. That's a famous line. Yeah, and he ended up getting acquitted. It's just crazy. And then he went and wrote a book called If I Did It. So, it, like, the book looks like it says I did it, but if is, like, really tiny in, uh-uh. in the eye. And he's like, well, here's how I would have done it if I did it. I'm like, you are, are you serious? an asshole. That's crazy. Yeah, we'll talk about it someday. Not today, though. So... McKenna recalls the day that he was introduced to the Casey family or Casey's family at their home. And it was during the search for Kaylee that he remembered Cindy on the phone fielding calls from various news outlets who wanted to interview them about Kaylee. And Pat McKenna found that to be weird. But I find it to be indicative of two desperate grandparents wanting the world to search for their granddaughter. He's like, well, that's not what I'd be doing. Uh, This guy irked me because I felt like Anything he'd say, he would try to sensationalize it or sexualize it or make it seem gross or weird. The only time I saw the guy was in episode one when he said, Casey's worked for me for 10 plus years and she's never, never even told a smidge of a lie once. Yeah. He's like, she's nothing but honest. Yeah. And I'm like, there goes your credibility. She's talking about the whole time what a liar she was, is. Mm -hmm. She's not anymore. Sorry. I feel bad for her. Stop. It's a joke. So then McKenna recalls this guy on the floor saying, we just raised $27,000 for the charity. And he acts like that's a bad thing. But while we're at it, let's talk about the fact that Casey Anthony was selling pictures and videos of Kaylee to ABC for $200,000. No way. But that never got brought up. So where were your red flags there, Pat McKenna? You never told me that. Yeah, I guess I forgot to mention that. The, the thing is, there's so many details in this case. I could talk about it for hours on end. When did she sell him the pics? Shortly after Kaylee was missing, before she was ever found. For 200 Gs? $200,000. She was selling pictures of and video of Kaylee. But let's, let's turn our nose up at the family getting $27,000 <clears> towards <throat> their charity, which is... The next point I'm going to talk about is when he makes a huge deal about this boat that Cindy and George Anthony purchased after Kaylee's remains were found. And I want to elaborate on this because the documentary made it look like they bought this extravagant boat to just go hang out on the lake. And Pat McKenna says, I showed up and Cindy was all sunburnt from being out on the boat. Um, Hello, they live in Florida, for God's sakes. They have a pool. So who are you to say where this sunburn is is coming from, but it's like obviously just this tactic he's trying to use to make them seem like bad people. But the thing about the boat, he says, Pat McKenna is like, well, that's not how I'd be acting if my granddaughter was missing, as if that clued him into the idea that something was off about Casey's parents. But let's just disregard everything that Casey was doing in the meantime, all the lying she was doing. At that point, they never knew that this was all a response to trauma. So where were those red flags? Yeah, why did that never come up? Exactly. Like, how can you say that you had bad vibes from her parents, but not her, before you ever heard her excuse for why she was lying? Anyway, this boat. Sorry, I I want to talk about this boat. After Kaylee's disappearance, George and Cindy started raising money for a foundation in Kaylee's honor to help other people look for missing kids and bring them home. So this boat, it was like a fishing boat, and it was purchased for that foundation. It had insignia on it, like call 1-800-MISSING-KIDS and extreme rescue recovery or something along those lines. And it was a boat that would be used to search lakes and bodies of water for missing kids. So I'm just having a hard time drawing the line between that, you know, that this charitable organization created to help families in a similar situation 
to these people had something to do with their granddaughter's death and they're acting weird. Like I, I'm having a trouble, I'm having trouble drawing the line from point mm-hmm. A to B. And I think it's just one of many reaches made by the producers of this documentary to make everyone look bad or worse than Casey Anthony. Also, after Kaylee was found and it was revealed how she was discovered and the condition she was in, Lee called the defense team and allegedly told them that when Casey and Lee were younger, they remembered their dad burying the family pets by wrapping them in a blanket, putting them in a trash bag, and then using duct tape to close the trash bag. So Pat McKenna jumped at this to imply that since this is similar to how Kaylee was found, George must have been the one to dispose of her body. But I don't think that this is indicative of George. I think it's indicative of anyone in the house disposing a body, disposing of a body in this way, right? Lee obviously knew how pets were disposed of in this in the past. I'm sure Casey did as well. And so it's just a reach. Like well, right. And why would we only point our finger at George based on this this one piece of information? So later in episode three. One of the members of the defense team goes on to refute the cadaver dogs and the duct tape and this and that. And they, they point out the fact that no DNA was found on the duct tape. And the, this investigator on the case was implying that the duct tape could have been used to wrap around the top of the trash bag to keep the trash bag closed and that there's no proof it was ever on the skull. Well, John Allen, who was the lead investigator on the case for the police, he literally even says in this documentary that when he walked up on the skull, the skull had duct tape wrapped around it three times. And this I refuted in a past episode that, of course, no DNA would be found on the duct tape. All that was left was skeleton. So you would have to be willing to say that the Florida elements would be able to destroy the soft tissue of the human body, but those same elements couldn't destroy DNA left on duct tape. Like you have to be willing to make that distinction. If you're going to make the argument that the DNA was or that the duct tape was never on Kaylee, Mm -hmm. you can't, you can't. So you can't expect the DNA to be left on the duct tape, if there's nothing of Kaylee left other than skeleton. So another dagger thrown at George's character was this affair he allegedly had with a volunteer named Crystal Holloway while the search for Kaylee was still ongoing. So Crystal Holloway, who also goes by the name River Cruz, testified that she was introduced to George at one of the command centers during the search for Kaylee and that she was just volunteering to help. They struck up a friendship and one day he came to her apartment, which is where he says, or I'm sorry, where she says that he admitted to her that Kaylee's death was an accident that snowballed out of control. But George denies ever saying that, and he denies her claim that they began having a romantic relationship while the search for Kaylee was ongoing. And the way that this story came out in the first place was because River Cruz or Crystal Holloway, whatever you want to call her, went to the National Enquirer to sell her story for $4,000. Does this sound like a credible person with trustworthy character if they're willing to sell a story to, of all publications, the National Enquirer? The National Enquirer is like the one that when you're a kid, you look at in the line and it says some crazy shit, like UFOs have landed on the Missouri River. Exactly. That same week... She told this story to the National Enquirer. She talked to detectives and under oath told them that they did not have a romantic relationship. So when River Cruz testified during the trial, it was actually kind of explosive. She gets really agitated when she's getting questioned by the state and the state did a really good job of picking apart her version of events that were twisted and manipulated. And if you're interested in watching it, search YouTube for quote, state questions River Cruz, end quote. Why does she have two names? I don't know. I don't know. But it's pretty entertaining. But anyway, after watching that testimony, I'm inclined to believe that she was just an opportunistic person who was trying to cash in on a national news story and that it would sound more sensational if she said that she was having an affair with this guy in addition to him admitting that Kaylee's death was an accident. So anyway, they, you know, they bring that up. But I, I'm not inclined to believe it. I, I have questions. You should too. But the other things they tried to throw at the viewers. Oh, I do, Kelly. <laughs> I do have questions. 
The other things they tried to throw at the viewers were already discussed in episodes one through three. So I do believe if you go back and listen to those, I refute what they say or what they tried to say about the duct, the duct tape and the testing of the odor in the trunk and the cadaver dogs and all of that. None of it surprised me because you have to remember at all times that the majority of the commentary here is coming from the defense. So when they refute it saying, oh, it's all junk science and here's why, of course they're saying that. They worked for the defense team, but please go back and listen to episodes one through three if you're questioning it after hearing what they said. So at the end of the day, I just feel like this was a very futile attempt to pull at the heartstrings of victims of abuse. And I think it is so beyond insulting to try and claim that plight as her own, as a poor excuse for her behavior during those 31 days and after. People who have changed their minds about Casey Anthony since watching this documentary and believe she's innocent, I believe they have huge soft hearts, that they are very compassionate, they're empathetic to a fault. And I don't mean that to be insulting, but I mean it to say that you've been gaslit by Casey Anthony and her team. And it's a slippery slope to believe what someone says just because they say it. Let's not forget this woman lied over and over and over again, long before Kaylee was ever even born and long after Kaylee died. So why should we choose to believe her now? Why do you think Nancy Grace refused to participate in this documentary because they wouldn't let her ask Casey questions that she wanted to ask? Why do you think that the majority of this docuseries is fluff footage of her eating soup with her defense family as they all talk about how tight-knit they are, but also that they never heard any of this version from Casey ever? They've been friends for over a decade, family for over a decade, but this is all brand new information to them? Give me a break. She goes on hikes by herself. She's sad. <laughs> Austin. The whole first episode's like... I just really go on hikes by myself and, and I, I want to be places anxiety. where it's where it's private and I have social anxiety and I just take pictures of birds and she's just crying taking photographs of birds but Kelly found a picture of her at a bar or something a few Oh there's tons of pictures yeah. and videos of her at bars even after this came out where she's dancing on stage at some like rock band concert But in this documentary But she's she has sad. trouble going out by herself She's sad and she just goes on hikes by herself John Allen and Eric Edwards were the only investigators that were interviewed for this docuseries, but their cameos were so so small and chopped to fit the producer's narratives. So one of the TikToks that I made, and I think it's important to go back and watch it because uh, I include the clip from the documentary, but it shows John Allen being asked by one of the <coughs> producers if anyone from the Anthony family ever lied to him besides Casey. And he said, yes, at some point... Everyone in the family lied about something. It was usually pretty small, but they, yeah, their stories maybe wouldn't match up, but lying doesn't make you a murderer. And then it clips right there. It cuts him off, and then it just switches to a still shot of him sitting in the chair looking at the camera as if this is supposed to be some groundbreaking you know, moment where he says something that if he believes his own logic, then by that logic, we should believe that just because Casey was a liar, she's not a murderer. But I think it cut off what he was going to go on to say, which is that, you know, those little lies don't make you a murderer, but all of Casey Anthony's lies point that if you use your common sense, it leads you to think that she is the one who was responsible for Kaylee's death. So I just feel like this was very manipulative on the producer's part. So ask yourself why John Allen and Eric Edwards' uh, interviews were chopped and so small. I've already asked myself, Kelly. Too many things... You just move on. I do. Too many things were left unanswered. They didn't elaborate on so many of the damning evidence against Casey. They never will because they can't explain it with something that makes actual sense. If they tell the truth, then Casey is guilty. Keep in mind, they didn't interview a single juror. Jurors have since spoken out about the regret they feel for acquitting her. No they, way, I didn't know that. Oh yeah, they didn't interview the judge, Judge Perry, who has said in previous interviews, not related to this docuseries, but he has said 
Quote, I think based upon the evidence, the most logical thing that happened was that she tried to knock her her daughter out by the use of chloroform and gave her too much chloroform, which caused her to die. End quote. That's what the judge in the case said. They didn't interview Jeff Ashton or anyone from the prosecution. There's a reason for this because it makes her look guilty. Why didn't they interview Zenaida? I don't know. Or Jeff Hopkins. <laughs> I don't know. Talking about or Tony Lazaro or Amy Azanga. I don't yeah. know. So um, I want to talk about questions from Instagram. So I made a story where I asked everyone to ask me questions, what questions they had about uh, the Casey Anthony documentary. Because so, I kept asking questions. Yes. So one of the questions is, is Casey getting paid a lot for this documentary? She is the biggest BOS in the world. Um, so Amy asked that question. So I don't know because it has not been confirmed or denied, but I am inclined to believe that she is getting paid for this documentary. And even if they say she's not getting paid, they could pay her in other roundabout ways by paying her for pictures of Kaylee or video of Kaylee and not specifying that this is a payment for her interview. Yeah. Supposedly Anthony Fauci didn't get paid for anything with the vaccines, but we'll just all... We're not going there. Oh, my God. <laughs> Don't delete it. I'm, I'm not going to delete it, but we're going to move on. So When he got asked about it. Austin. Never mind. Won't even go there. <laughs> do an episode on that. Okay, so the next question is, do you know if her jail phone calls were used in court? And Look, don't cancel us. It's me being <laughs> stupid. Don't cancel Kelly. Don't make her suffer because of my comments. We need a positive reviews. Go ahead. All right. So do you know if her jail phone calls were used in court? Um, yes, some of her phone calls were used in court. Um, the 911 calls were used as well. Um, so I don't, I don't know where things went wrong. I, I will actually touch on where I think, where I think things went wrong. Uh, where is she now? She's living somewhere in Florida. That's all I know. She drives a CRV. <laughs> she does. You picked up on that in the documentary. Um, did Casey's dad really sexually abuse her and where is Danny? So I feel like I've kind of addressed that enough, but my opinion is that no, George did not sexually abuse her. My opinion is that Casey is using that, weaponizing this trauma, weaponizing this story because, um, it's relatable and she wants people to feel bad for her. So no, I don't think it's true. I think she's a liar. And if you want my opinion, I don't think so either. Thank you. Um, where's Danny? Probably... Um, hanging out. Probably hanging out, probably enjoying the backlash that's coming from this documentary because I think it really has blown up in Casey's face. There's a ton of people. The majority of people who watch this, the vast majority, still believe she's a liar. This didn't sway a lot of people. It swayed some, but not swayed enough. Swayed Rosie O'Donnell. We're not going there. Kelly got in a fight with Rosie O'Donnell. No, I didn't, but Rosie O'Donnell <laughs> was on TikTok making videos about how she thinks Casey Anthony is innocent. So people started going on there and tagging me and my page because I made a ton of videos on TikTok about Casey Anthony. And so they were like urging her to go watch those videos where I point out the facts that disprove Casey's story. So um, anyway, she hasn't responded. Kelly, Kelly sent her a voice message that said she'd beat her ass. Austin, I did not. Yeah, you did tell people. I did not. So um, the last thing, the last question Uh, is what do you think swayed the jury to say not guilty? So I have forgotten to mention this in the past, and this is what I really truly think. And this is an opinion from Jeff Ashton, who was the, the lead prosecutor on the case, okay? When they were going through jury selection for this case, this was already hugely in the media. It was all over national media. So to find people who were not familiar with this case was going to be impossible, So they were tasked with picking a jury that didn't have an opinion either way because everyone else, by everything that they were seeing on media, was that Casey was guilty. So if they asked somebody, hey, are you familiar with this case? Yes. Do you think she's guilty? Yes. Okay, well, then you can't be a juror. So they were looking for jurors that would say, I don't know either way. I'm not totally convinced. They were looking for me before any episodes. Yeah, sure. So... In that case, if they already, based on what was already out in the media, if they already didn't believe that Casey was guilty based on what everyone already knew, then the prosecution was up against it because 
that's all they had to convince of Casey's guilt anyway was all this circumstantial evidence and the fact that only her skeleton was found so they didn't have a cause of death. So you have to think like this wasn't just a normal jury of normal people, normal peers that, you know, have a good amount of common sense. These were people that had to really logically be proven of her guilt and they couldn't draw the line from Kaylee's death directly to Casey. They could assume, but they had nothing to prove it because they didn't know exactly how she died. They couldn't believe, you know, could she have been smothered or could she have been drugged? We don't know. So because they they don't believe without a doubt that she's innocent, they don't, they don't Austin. They don't believe she's innocent. There's a difference between believing someone is innocent and believing that the state didn't provide enough evidence to prove she's guilty. Do you see the difference? That's that's what it is, and that sucks. (laughs) That's the fundamental flaw in our justice system in this case is that they weren't allowed to just use common sense. They had to use fact, and some of the facts just weren't there. Some of the pieces of the puzzle were missing, and because of that, she ended up getting acquitted, and it sucks. Casey Anthony sucks. She absolutely sucks. So at the end of the day, to close this up, I just want to offer a personal anecdote for anyone who's listening who is still not sure if Casey is guilty, okay? I have a daughter who is eight years old. She is the love of my life, my favorite girl on the planet. And the other night, she fell asleep while we were watching TV, and I just watched her sleep. And with all of this content around Casey Anthony, I thought to myself what I would do if I was ever in a similar situation, if I ever lost my daughter, if I were to believe that what Casey was saying was true, what would I do? And it's a thought I can't even allow into my brain. Trauma is common, and I can appreciate that, but there is no level of trauma that could allow me or any other decent mother to not chase after my daughter if she was not okay, or if I didn't know if she was okay. There is a reason why trauma is so common, and yet you don't hear about mothers going out and partying while their daughter is missing for 31 days because it doesn't happen unless you are a murderer, unless you are Casey Anthony. You're very well spoken. Thanks. Can I ask one last question before we hop off here? Mm -hmm. Do you think you could beat up Rosie O'Donnell? (laughs) easy mama mystery out 